Shiela Vance, author of the book, Six Days in December, General George Washington and the Continental Army's encampment on Rebel Hill and Gulf Mills, December 13th to 19th, 1777, and author of the book, Becoming Valley Forge. This is the Becoming Valley, Valley Forge podcast. This episode is day three in our examination of the six days in December that General Washington and the Continental Army encamped on Rebel Hill and in Gulf Mills, where I grew up. This was quite a day, quite a busy day. So let's get to it. December 3rd, excuse me, day three, December 15th, 1777, the Continental Army settles down at Rebel Hill and Gulf Mills. On December 15th, 1777, the Continental Army had been at Gulf Mills and Rebel Hill for two days, so they were able to settle down and recoup a bit of their strength. As Dr. Albigens Waldo, Surgeon General to the Army, writes of his condition, improved as of the past two days, quote, quiet, eat persimmons, found myself better for their lenient operations, went to a house, poor and small, but good food within, eat too much from being so long, abstemious, grow want of palatables. Mankind are never truly thankful for the benefits of life until they have experienced the want of them. The man who has seen misery knows best how to enjoy good. He who is always at ease and has enough of the blessings of common life is an impotent judge of the feelings of the unfortunate. End quote. That's really a great sentence, that last one. I'm going to repeat that one. He who is always at ease and has enough of the blessings of common life, is an impotent judge of the feelings of the unfortunate. Boy, we should remember that today. But moving on. Even General Washington seems to have settled down a bit to assess the situation that his army is in and to prepare for the upcoming winter. A chief concern was where the army was going to spend the winter. At this time in history, armies did not fight during the winter. The conditions were harsh. It was cold. Roads were either frozen rock hard with rut marks blocked by snow or in a muddy state of fall. Armies could not easily move their heavy cannons and wagons or their people either. Instead of fighting, they went to their winter headquarters to rest and rebuild. They resumed fighting in the spring. The British had taken over Philadelphia and its comforts as the colony's largest city, and they were settling into a comfortable winter there. Many historians believe that General Washington wanted to establish winter quarters at Gulf Mills. However, they believe that Washington deferred to a suggestion of General Anthony Wayne from Paoli, the only general who had lived in the Philadelphia area, to make the quarters further down Gulf Road in Valley Forge. Wayne lived at his family home, Waynesboro, in Paoli, Chester County, a few miles from Valley Forge and about 10 miles from Rebel Hill. Point of personal privilege. I lived right down the street from Waynesboro, which was at the dead end of our home when we lived in Paoli for 20 years. We lived on land that used to be owned by General Anthony Wayne. But I digress. Let me move on. As South Carolinian Lieutenant Colonel John Lawrence, an aide-de-camp to George Washington, wrote about Winter Headquarters, the precise, precise position is not yet fixed upon in which our huts are to be constructed. It will probably be determined today. 
It must be in such a situation as to admit of a bridge of communication over the scruple for the protection of the country we have just left, end quote. General Washington wrote three letters on December 15, 1777. A chief concern that he raised was finding or foraging or just out and out taking food from the neighbors to feed his army. Both the British and the Continental Army foraged all over the suburban Philadelphia area for food. Washington's entrance to Gulf Mills was delayed and detoured because they came upon a group of some 4,000 British soldiers led by Lord Cornwallis foraging for food in Gulf Mills. The British successfully stole some 2,000 sheep and cattle from Gulf Mills farmers, but they must have met with resistance because of the area's rebels. Okay, let me finish up with that uh, letter that uh, General Washington was sending to his uh, officers, which I started reading in the last segment, but ran out of time. So I'm going to just read the last couple par uh, sentences. These duties are important and interesting, and it is expected will have your pointed attention as a regular discharge of them will not only contribute to the more easy support of our own troops, aid our supplies from the more interior parts of the country, but also will distress the enemy and prevent that injurious and pernicious intercourse too prevalent between them and a number of disaffected inhabitants. So that was the end of Washington's letter to his officers about the direction he received from the Continental Congress to go out and forage in the areas of Philadelphia, New Jersey, and even Delaware. Okay, so another letter that Washington wrote uh, uh, dated to December 15th was to the President of Congress, December 15th, and this was attached to General Washington's letter dated December 14th. It says, Your favor of the 11th current with its enclosure came to hand yesterday. Congress seemed to have taken for granted a fact that is really not so. All the forage for the Army has been constantly drawn from Bucks and Philadelphia counties and those parts most contiguous to the city, insomuch that it was nearly exhausted and entirely so in the country below our camp. From these two were obtained all the supplies of flour that circumstances would admit of. The millers in most instances were unwilling to grind, either from their dissatisfaction or from motives of fear. This made the supplies less than they otherwise might have been, and the quantity which was drawn from thence was little besides what the guards placed at the mills compelled them to manufacture. As to stock, I do not know that much was had from thence, nor do I know that any considerable supply could have been had. I confess I have felt myself greatly embarrassed with respect to a vigorous exercise of military power. An ill-placed humanity, perhaps, and a reluctance to give distress may have restrained me too far, but these were not all. I have been well aware of the prevalent jealousy of military power and that this has been considered as an evil, much to be apprehended even by the best and most sensible among us. Under this idea, I have been cautious and wish to avoid as much as possible any act that might improve it. However, Congress may be assured that no exertions of mine, as far as circumstances will admit, shall be wanting to provide our own troops with supplies on the one hand 
and to prevent the enemy from them on the other. At the same time, they must be apprised that many obstacles have arisen to render the former more precarious and difficult than they usually were from a change in the commissary's department at a very critical and interesting period. I should be happy if the civil authority in the several states, through the recommendations of Congress, or their own mere will, seeing the necessity of supporting the army, would always adopt the most spirited measures suited to the end. The people at large are governed much by custom. To acts of legislation or civil authority, they have been ever taught to yield a willing obedience without reasoning about their propriety. On those of military power, whether immediate or derived originally from another source, they have ever looked with a jealous and suspicious eye. The last letter that Governor, excuse me, that General Washington wrote on December 15th is this. It was to Governor Jonathan Trumbull, headquarters, Golf Mill, December 15th, 1777. Washington wrote, Sir, I have the honor of yours of the second inst. I am much obliged for the attention you have paid to my request through General Putnam, and I shall ever acknowledge the readiness with which you have always afforded any assistance from your state when demanded immediately by myself. I was never consulted in the least upon the Rhode Island expedition, and I cannot therefore pretend to say who were or who were not to blame, but it undoubtedly cost the public an enormous sum to little or no purpose. I observe by the copy of your letter to Congress that your state has fallen upon means to supply your troops with clothing. I must earnestly beg that it may be sent on to camp as fast as it is collected. To cover the country more effectually, we shall be obliged to lay in a manner in the field the whole winter. And except the men are warmly clad, they must suffer much. Among the troops of your state, there are 363 drafts whose time of service will expire within this month. This deduction, with the former deficiency of the regiments, will reduce them exceedingly low, And as I have represented this matter to Congress very fully, I hope they have before this time urged the states the necessity which there is of fulfilling their requirements this winter. But lest they should have not done it, I beg leave to urge the matter to your immediate consideration. Recruits for the war ought by all means to be obtained if possible. But if that cannot be done, drafts for one year at least should be called out without delay. And I hope that as many as are now upon the point of going home will be immediately reinstated. We must expect to lose a considerable number of men by sickness and other ways in the course of the winter, and if we cannot take the field in the spring with a superior or at least an equal force with the enemy, we shall have labored through the preceding campaigns to little purpose. So that's the end of the letter, and uh, that's the end of my rendition of day three. So on to day four. I hope you'll come back tomorrow for the next episode um, of the six days in December. Peace.